VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller? I traded in my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Plus. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey everyone, it's me, Steve Balistrieri, host of Soft Rep Radio. I want you to know about this new app the How We Reach coaching tool. Download it and learn how to reach out to friends going through a really hard time. Thanks to the app, you can now get helpful information on how to talk to friends who are really struggling and can help them find the help that they deserve. We all need help and support sometimes. Go to reach.gov, that's R-E-A-C-H dot gov to learn the steps everyone can take to prevent suicide. Check out the How We Reach coaching tool today. Thank you very much. Brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio. Special Operations Military News and Straight Talk with the Guys in the Community. 
again, everyone. Welcome back to Software Up Radio. Software Up Radio on time, on target. I'm your host this afternoon, Steve Valestri. We have a very special guest with us. I know I say that all the time, but today it really is kind of cool because uh, we're going to be talking with and uh, Brad Thomas. And he, Brad was a former Ranger and uh, third Ranger bat. He served in Mogadishu during the battle there. He was also a member of the Delta Force for about 12 years, I believe it was, and before retiring. And uh, now he's a musician. He has a band called Silence and Light. Um, It's a band full of veterans, and uh, we're going to talk to him about all that stuff. But before we go any further, I just wanted to uh, welcome him to the podcast. Brad, thanks for taking the time this afternoon and talking with us. I, I know it was a little hectic for you this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. It, no, thanks for having me. And uh, super happy to be on talking with you. And we, we chatted for a few minutes about, you know, our backgrounds and kind of some common people that we know. And it's a small community. So glad to be on talking with you, man. Yeah, it is a small community. We uh, were almost neighbors, I guess. We, we were talking <laughs> at one point outside of Fort Bragg. So, you know, that, that seems to be the area where all the... Uh, special ops guys lived anyway but uh yeah we were probably we were probably within a half a mile of one another but (laughs) but being in different units like never cross paths i probably flipped you off in the car yes i was probably the guy driving like an asshole on the (laughs) (laughs) that would be hilarious you know i've i've had that thought about um you know writing a film that has to do with a person that crosses paths with all these people, but then how he interacts with them later in life, not knowing that he'd already crossed paths with them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that, that would be a blockbuster because it's like, you know, because you talk to people and like, like we were talking about earlier. I mean, you know, we lived within a very close proximity to each other. We've never met. And, uh, but you know, we probably, been in that same grocery store as we talked about in the neighborhood where we used to live right there, you know, yeah. passing each other in the aisle. Yeah. Yeah. You probably smelled my grill. <laughs> and likewise, yeah. you're like, is that a teriyaki marinade? That smells <laughs> amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's interesting when, you know, we talked about the community and just, it's such a small, you know, tight knit community, special operations community. And you run into people and, and it's interesting when people are like, hey, do you know so-and-so? Do you know so-and-so? And you don't know somebody. You know, generally speaking, it, you can adjust the date on something and you can figure out, you know, oh, yeah, we crossed paths here. Or, I went to ranger school with that guy or, you know. Uh, but when, when a name comes from out of nowhere and nobody's heard of this person, it's pretty easy to determine very quickly. Yeah. And uh, so stolen valor stuff seems to be like, I don't know. Uh, very, very easy to root out. Well, it was funny because uh, in the early 80s, uh, we went to the uh, Rolling Thunder thing up in D.C. And uh, one of the old uh, SF guys that was there, we were sitting there talking to him at a bar. And then he was like, hold on a second. And there was this guy telling a story. And uh, we were like, what's up? You know that guy? And he was like, no. But he's talking about me like it's him. 
So he goes, <laughs> I got to go over there and listen to this. So we went over there, and this guy's telling the story. And <laughs> this real SF guy that we had been talking to in this bar, and he was like, that's a fascinating story. I don't remember you because I was on that team. And he goes, and I knew everybody on that team. Of course, there was only 10 of us. <laughs> and I don't remember you. And the guy put yeah. his beard down and walked out the door. <laughs> yeah, better, better get out before anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I get I get that a lot with uh, Rangers that served in Mogadishu. And it, it seemed like anybody that was in the Army at that time or maybe even after, you mm -hmm. know, served in Mogadishu. Most recently, somebody sent me a picture of a guy. And they were like, his first name is such and such. And here's his picture. And I asked how current the picture was. And it was like, you know, his wife just sent it to me or something like that. And I'm like, are you stupid that like, there's no way he could have been there based on his age, based on the picture. Like, it's not even a question of knowing the guy or not. It's he, he would have, he would have been like four when, <laughs> when that happened yeah you know you know so uh anyway yeah uh that was um and again talking about mogadishu that was a such a sad day for us because we knew a lot of the people that were there obviously i mean we like you said there was a lot of crossover between sf and the guys over in, in delta and you know uh my partner Dave and I, we were working in Bolivia at the time. It was just two of us down there. Oh, wow. And we heard about it on the news, and then we got to a television and we were watching only what they were showing at the time. But that was a sad day uh, when we heard about that. It still yeah, brings I, truth. It, it, interestingly, because uh, I, I told this story on, on something else that I did, and I'm not going to get into the super details of the story, but after the battle, the next day, uh, you know, the battle still raged through that morning. And at about 9.30 or 10 in the morning, we ended up in a, a stadium. And that was kind of a safe spot. And we reconsolidated and reorganized and got the wounded guys medevaced out, bringing helicopters in and things like that and getting, getting the guys that had been killed out of there as well. And I had to, ended up on the vehicle package. We ended up having to drive vehicles back to the hangar. And, you know, it wasn't like this is all secure outside of the hangar or outside of the, the stadium. So, you know, that was that was kind of, you know, keep your fingers crossed and hope that everybody does the right thing. When we get back to the hangar and in the back corner, there was a TV and it was hooked up to, you know, at the only time, the only news channel at the time was CNN. And mm -hmm. we got back to the hangar and we offloaded our gear and everybody kind of hugged each other and we we're looking around to see you know, who, who was still around and who wasn't and all of that. And all of a sudden, everybody in the hangar started running to the back corner. And, you know, we get, I get back there and I look at the TV and it was the video of, of uh, some of the crew members being dragged through the streets that had been killed. And we had no idea that that was even a thing. We didn't know that there were people missing. We didn't know that there were people that still hadn't been recovered. You know, it was a different era of military. It was a different time. There wasn't, you know, everybody had a radio and everybody knew what was going on. It was complete chaos. And there really wasn't a chance or a place for, you know, the typical military dissemination of information to happen. You can't do that in the middle of the street when bullets are flying. So 
uh, we didn't even know, I guess the bigger point was we didn't even know really kind of the magnitude of everything that had happened until we got to the hangar and recognized that we still had people missing. And, oh, wow. it, and, and then obviously surprised even further uh, what, a day or two later when uh, Mike Durant showed up on, on CNN also. And uh, we realized that we had a guy that was a uh, prisoner of war or detainee or whatever you want to call him, hostage. Mm-hmm. But yeah, interesting times to say the least. Absolutely. So uh, fill our listeners in. I mean, I know you grew up musically inclined. But uh, I know you were in bands and stuff, but tell, tell our listeners your story of how you ended up in the Army and how you ended up where you were. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, I grew up in as early as I can remember was making up songs and singing songs. And, you know, my father would be in the car driving me somewhere or we'd be on vacation and he'd be screaming at a guy in the Buick and I would start singing a song about a guy in a Buick, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, cracked my family up and was always, you know, a pretty happy and positive kid. I had a great childhood and upbringing. And, uh, one of the, one of the best things that my parents did for me, uh, and I don't think that they had any inclination other than the singing of songs and things like that, but they took me to see a lot of live music. So at a very early age, I got to see, you know, some of the bigger, bigger known acts at the time, like Barry Manilow and Chicago and the Beach Boys and things like that. Oh, Barry Manilow uh, was huge then. Yeah, I mean, that's right when all of his stuff, I mean, from 74 to like 77, he was all over the radio. And, uh, you know, we kind of laugh about him now. The guy was incredibly talented. And most people don't know this, but he wrote, you know, like the Dr. Pepper jingle. He wrote, Mm -hmm. he worked uh, the building and I forget the name of the building, but it's a famous building where they, you know, basically wrote all the music for commercials and jingles and mm-hmm. things like that for advertisements. And, uh, there are so many things like a good neighbor state farm is there. That song, he wrote that. Oh, um, yeah. Anyway, he, he, in a live performance would do a medley of all of his different jingles that he read, he had written. And it was kind of interesting, but anyway, Um, as soon as I saw, you know, the first concert and experienced that, I was, I was kind of like, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's, you know, that's all I want. And my parents agreed to buy a piano if I agreed to take lessons and that ended up lasting, you know, four or five years. And at the same time, maybe after a few years of piano was when, uh, school music in school, uh, school music in school, uh, band in school became a thing and i think in fourth grade you know that was something that was almost mandatory you were either in the chorus or you were in the band you know and learned an instrument and things like that so i picked up the saxophone and played that for a number of years in the school band the school pep band my church orchestra and things like that so um you know kind of at the end of that maybe after four or five years now early 80s and you know i'm listening to van halen and Aerosmith and ACDC and all the stuff that was, you know, just kind of coming out at the time and, and pretty big. And you can't play that on the saxophone. You can't play that on the clarinet or the piano. And we had a, an acoustic guitar in my house. And at some point I picked up the acoustic guitar and just started figuring it out. And uh, so that's, that's kind of how, how I got into music, at least all the way up to the point of guitar. 
That's cool. And, you know, so you were in a band and something happened to where you decided yeah, you were going to. It, it's kind of, you know, my bandmate, Jason Everman, he's the cat that was in uh, Nirvana and Soundgarden prior yeah. to prior to joining the army and being a ranger and then an SF guy. Um, we had a very similar trajectory in terms of kind of trying the music thing and then, you know, it being a very unfulfilling type of, uh, you know, whether it was the right people or we were with the wrong people or whatever it might be. He just happened to be in a band that was, you know, huge, two bands that were huge as soon as he left. And, you know, it takes, it's like building a team, you know, you can get, you can get new guys all day long and it takes a long time to figure out if the guy is the right guy or not. Mm -hmm. And then you're dealing with egos and you're dealing with people that are passive aggressive and can't directly communicate that, you know, Hey, I don't like this, or, you know, I want to change something, you know, so you get people that stand around and, you know, don't put their all into something. And it takes a long time to build that. Um, you know, so I, I put a band together and, and, and put multiple bands together, probably from the time that I was 12, um until the time i joined the army and it kind of all unraveled at the very end and i was left pretty much heartbroken and you know at a loss of what to do do i do i spend another two years trying to find the right people um you know practicing and doing nothing more than practicing do i do something else and so there was kind of a trifecta of things that happened one uh the band fell apart and and it was a good group of dudes and we all got along and everything was tracking and one guy created issues that kind of funneled the whole thing um the invasion of panama happened and that was so december of 89 and then a buddy of mine that had joined the air force and had just finished basic training and ait for eod school uh came home from you know on on block leave more or less so those three things kind of happen all about the same within the same couple of weeks. And my Air Force buddy, I was talking to him and we're having some drinks and having fun and, you know, catching up and everything. And he tells me about at the end of basic training, there was a group of guys that came around to recruit for a special unit in the Air Force. And I said, well, what are they, what, what's the special unit? And he said, well, they jump in behind enemy lines and they rescue down pilots and you know, do that kind of thing. And I was like, wow, that sounds cool. And, you know, it kind of, it intrigued me. So within a few weeks, I went and talked with the Air Force recruiter and was kind of on track to join the Air Force. I actually signed um, all the paperwork with the Air Force to join <clears throat> and uh, was leaving one day kind of upset because the recruiter had told me that he would give me some sort of contract that guaranteed me the right to try, um, mm -hmm. which was all I was asking for. You know, I know I can't necessarily be guaranteed that I'll make it into this unit, but at least the opportunity to try. And I'm leaving one day and the army guy says, hey, what are you, what are you doing? And I said, oh, this Air Force guy's giving me the runaround. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do something like Delta Force. And I don't know why that came out of my mouth, I hadn't necessarily other than the movie <laughs> that came out in 1980. <laughs> um, I, it's not like I had any interaction. It's not like there was an internet where you could read about, you know, what Delta Force was or anything like that. So 
I told the recruiter I want to be in Delta Force. And he said, well, you can't do that. You got to do something first, like special forces. And I said, okay, I'll do that. He said, well, you can't do that either. You got to do something before that, like a ranger. And that's, that's where it all started. So uh, that was about May of 1990. And, and that's where the start of my military career happened. Yeah. And then you went to the third ranger bat afterwards and, um, what now that was when they were still pretty, uh, I was going to say in their infancy of being reactivated, wasn't it? Yeah. It's interesting because at the time, you know, when you're, when you're a 20 year old or when you're a, when you're a five-year-old, a year is a fifth of your life. Right. And the older you get, you realize that like a year <laughs> isn't that much, you know? <laughs> um, but at the time, I think third battalion stood up in 84. And so, you know, I got there at the very beginning of 91. So it, it wasn't that, that much longer, uh, you know, after the whole thing had stood up. When I look back at that now and I think, oh, wow, I was there, you know, only a few years later, that it seems like such a short period of time. But at the time then, it's, you know, it seemed like forever. They wore yeah. different uniforms back then. They had OG 107s and none of our guys had that by the time we got there and things like that. But yeah, so that's where that's where I spent the first four years in the military. What was that like in the Ranger Bat? I know when you're young, uh, when you're first there, you're kind of the shit detail guy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's until, uh until you get that trust factor in after you've been there a while. Yeah, there there's a lot of hazing and there was a lot of uh, you know, it was it was a tough time. It was a really, you know, staying there for the number of years that I did. I guess I was there for just about five years. Um, mm -hmm. That was actually, you know, they say it when you get to Delta Force. And the, the saying is selection is an ongoing process. Like you don't get somewhere and then just rest on your laurels because you made it. You know, you have to perform every day and very much the same thing in the Rangers. And I think that kind of it didn't necessarily take me by surprise, but I think it was a little disillusioned in books that I had read and, you know, maybe movies that I had seen that depicted things. And I, I was expecting it to be smaller teams, you know, going in, sneaking in, blowing up a bridge, disrupting stuff, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, it was a great time. And I would say it was a great place to start a military career because it, it kind of gets you all the basics that you need. Uh, being on Fort Benning, we were in the field. If we if we weren't doing like an airfield seizure or something that was at that time, like really secret and special, um, you know, we were in the in the swamps of Fort Benning and it sucked and there was nothing fun about it. You know, go out to the field for four days, jump in, road march somewhere, spend, you know, spend every night pulling security on pine trees, no bad guys, you know, nothing. And uh, and, you know, sticking it out in the swamps and then road march. 18 miles back to the barracks Friday morning, clean your weapons and then have a weekend off. You know, it was, it was an ass kicker physically. And uh, yeah, that was, that was uh, definitely a challenging time. So when you're a private, you know, on top of just being able to, to hang, you're getting harassed every, you know, every couple minutes about something, you know, what are the five colors of the map, Thomas? What's this? What's that? You know, too slow. Do push-ups. You know, you're just constantly. So, um, you know, once you're a part of the part of the 
crew and you're a part of the team, it's a little different and it, and it lightens up to some degree, but you still have to perform, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, we used to tell guys that, uh, cause I, I worked at the selection course for SF and selection doesn't stop when you pass the Q course, you're, you're, you're being, you know, basically assessed every day for the rest of your career. And the higher up you get, the harder yep. people look at you really. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was the same in Delta. I mean, you know, the, the higher up you get, I mean, the more people expect out of it. Yeah, that you you can't just show up at the range and not shoot, you know, and not be, you know, when you get to a team at Delta, you your goal is to be the best shooter on the team. And, you know, you're competing against dudes that have had multiple professional instruction and more shooting time than you could ever imagine. And, you know, it just, again, like, you don't want to be the bottom guy. So now I got to outperform this. And, oh, now we're going to do something physical and like, I don't want to be the last guy to finish yeah. the run. You know, it's, it's constant. So, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure to that. And, you know, most people, um, I get hit up on social media a lot by kids that are talking about, you know, Hey, I want to go to Delta. What should I do? Should I go Ranger? Or should I go 18 X-ray? And it, it doesn't really matter. Like you have to, you have to make it through that before you can even think about attending a selection course for a special mission unit. So (laughs) how about just make your goal being a good ranger or being a good SF guy for four years and then, and then see where you are and see if you think you want to still do that. You know, that's, that's really kind of what it's all about. I, I was the same way. I was ready to get there. You know, so the other thing that'll ask me is, you know, it must've been like such an accomplishment when you've, made it through selection or you made it through OTC or, and it's not, I, I finished selection for Delta and all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, Oh shit. Now it's for real. Like now I'm going to the training course. That's almost a year long and I got to make it through that. And then when I finish that, it's like, Oh man, now I'm going to a team and I'm excited about that, but I got to prove myself to everybody again. And it just, it never stops. So there's never really a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. It's, it's always that, um, there's that error, not error, but there's that aura, I guess, of, you know, we're not good enough. You always have it in the back of your mind because you're always striving for that next levels thing. Yeah. Okay. I made it to this point, but this is not where I want to be. I want to be here. And, you know, it does wear on you after a while because you're constantly pushing yourself beyond your limits. Yeah. Perceived limits, I should say. Perceived limits. Yeah. 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 And so. then and then the second part of that, and you mentioned it, I'm glad you mentioned it, but that is challenging yourself. And so when I when I got to Delta, I I saw these guys that had been there, you know, 12 years, 16 years. And they were legends. I mean, these, these are guys that were just absolute physical specimens and, you know, had done all these different operations and, oh, this guy was, you know, we would see the dude in the, they call it the spine. Uh, you'd be walking down the spine, you see a guy and then it'd be like, that was the guy that, you know, did this. Or they, and and yeah. it was like legends. And it wasn't until I was there for probably three or four years that I, I realized that you know, this is a training cycle. Everything is a training cycle or a deployment cycle. And it's very repetitive. And, you know, once I had kind of proven myself and deployed a few times, because when I got there pre-war by about three years, 
um, you know, once, once you do that a few times, it's like, what else can I do? What else, how can I challenge myself? And that was really kind of the second half of my time in the military. Um, you know, it was really spent kind of asking those types of questions. Like, what am I doing next? Mm-hmm. How can I, you know, how can I better myself? What, what can I do? And you've got a family and you've got other stuff happening and things that are eating up all your time. But yeah, interesting, interesting times. Now, uh, did you, uh, did you stay past your 20 or did you get out at 20? No, I did 20 years and 18 days. <laughs> like <laughs> literally as soon as I could get out the door and it was for no other reason for me other than exactly that. I wanted to like, what's the next challenge? What can I do next? And what can I get into and how can I improve and, and do something more? And I, I elected because I came in at 21. So I wanted to, if I, if I'd spent more time in then I'm like getting a later start on whatever the second half of my life is outside of the military. Mm-hmm. And I viewed that as I would rather start that at 41 then start that at 51 or start that at 46 or whatever it might right. be. So I was kind of ready to get on with it and, and ready to try something different and not have to answer to the man every morning and yeah. you know show up exactly where I'm told, when I'm told to be there in wearing a certain type of shoe or doing whatever else. I was, I was ready to kind of move on. I think, I don't know what it was like for you, but uh, I know, when I was making that last trip out of Fort Bragg and I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there, (laughs) I'll be honest. But as I was making that trip, as I'm driving, I was going down Yadkin road. I'm I'm sure you know that quite well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going down to the Yadkin 500 in the afternoon. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the last time I'm going to be making this trip in the, in uniform. And it was a really strange feeling it's like, holy shit, now what am I? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I knew what I wanted to do, but it, it's like, it's a strange feeling, isn't it? When yeah. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. When you're, you know, finishing up at all those was, years in the military. I was driving down All-American to go to a retirement party at one of the bars uh, downtown. And I remember kind of being emotional about it. And... I, I remember thinking to myself, like, what's this all about? You know, you're ready to move on. And I started to think about it. And I'm like, I don't think that I expected myself to be intact or alive at that mm-hmm. point. You know, it, it was kind of it was kind of like, wow, I got I got both my legs and both my arms and all my pieces and parts, except maybe a little bit about my, my brain, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, that's, it's something that I, I didn't necessarily expect it. And then all of a sudden you're there and you're like, wow, man, it's over. Like that thing is over. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was an emotional like blink of an eye, you know, yeah. all those years go by really, really fast. Yeah. 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 When I think back on the entirety of my career, you know, I, it always comes back to, I've had this conversation multiple times recently And I'm curious because I think when guys join the army and they say a man's brain doesn't fully develop until he's like 27. So when you join the army, that first, if you're in for a certain length of time or you join the police department or you're a fireman or whatever it might be, like your brain is still developing. And so 
what you're doing almost becomes a part of like really who you are, not, not a job, not, you know, it's, it's an interesting thought. And that was the conversation I had with, uh, with a handful of folks recently. But when I think back on my early time in the military, it feels like the longest portion was say that first 36 to 48 months in the Ranger Battalion. It feels like that was 15 years long. Uh, the bond that we had, you know, the tough times that we were living and everything else, it feels like it was 15 years long. And then I realized I spent more time on one team with a handful of guys than I spent in the Ranger Battalion, <laughs> you know, when I was at the unit and like, oh shit, like, no, the time isn't that. It's almost like the time is reversed. It's weird. But the only thing I can equate it to is that maybe it's because the brain is still in development when, you know, when you're young and it becomes a part of you in a way that's different than when you're older. Like by the time I got to Delta, I'm my own person. You know, I'm a 29 year old. I've got a son. I'm married. I've got a house and drive nice cars. I'm not a like moldable piece of clay. I am who I am. I'm either I do the right thing when I'm told to do it, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's not like a 19 year old kid who's just showing up at the Rangers and he's young and impressionable and you can kind of mold him into being a good leader or a good soldier, you know? Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da, 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, 
how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point. So and now you're, you're out of the military. You're, you're retired out of Delta. And tell, tell us all about how you got back into the music business, because I, uh, I think our listeners will love this. Yeah, well, first of all, I think I think there are a couple of things and I've talked a lot about on other podcasts that I've done and other media and articles I've written and uh, interviews and things like that. I've I've talked a lot about people transitioning and kind of this loss of identity. And that's something that whether you're a doctor for 20 years or whether you're a, a fireman for 20 years, you know, when you're done doing that, there is kind of this re figuring out who am I now? You know, what am I now? How do I challenge myself? How do I find purpose and meaning in the things that I'm doing now? How, because in a lot of ways, it's never going to be as important as the thing that you may have done while you were serving or while you were a doctor or whatever it is that you were doing. And for me, I think one of the things I I didn't really have a tough time transitioning out of the military. I think number one, I was ready uh, I see a lot of people that struggled that that had that taken away from them because maybe they got injured. Maybe they lost a limb and they're not able to continue to serve. And so something got taken away from them. It's a lot different than voluntarily leaving. Um, but I, I didn't really have a tough time. And one of the things I can equate it to is that I always identified as things other than being a Delta Force operator, you know. Being a Delta operator was a part of who I was, but it's not who I am. I'm a musician. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm, you know, all different types of things, I'm creative, I'm, you know, you name it. And so I always identified with those things as well during my time of service. So the music thing never really stopped. I always, mm-hmm. always played and, you know, always was playing stuff. Uh, you know, doing things like that. It wasn't 24 seven. I think when I had young kids, it was a little bit tougher um, because, you know, my family, I put my family first, um, you know, but it was a very easy kind of, you know, slide back into it because it never really went away. It was always a part of me. So you, um, you still kept your guitars with you. Uh, well, you I get, when I joined initially, I got rid of all my stuff. So, right. I had to reacquire and rebuild and, uh, you know, I've gone through tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment since then. And, uh, have finally kind of settled on some stuff, but anyway, for me, I guess to take it to the next level and not just be a guitar player, but to say, form a band, release an album, you know, go about it the right way and do all the right things like a real band would do that's that's kind of the next level for me and so to get into that it was it really took a while for me to figure out exactly what i wanted to do in that way um i knew that i wanted to give back to the community and i didn't want to you know start a foundation or you know start something a charitable organization i felt like there were already enough really great things out there um i would rather contribute money to those organizations. I would rather bring awareness to those organizations than for me to start my own. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. 
So I came up with the idea of writing and releasing an album and taking the music royalties and the profits there therefrom and contributing those to special, you know, special operations, charitable organizations or uh, first responder charitable organizations, whatever it might be. So that was kind of where the idea started. That's great. And, you know, you got in touch and you met Jason Everham, who was in, as you mentioned earlier, was in both Nirvana and Soundgarden. And then later on, went to the range of bad, as you did, and became an SF guy and <clears throat> fought in um, Afghanistan. I think he went to Iraq as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. he did so, a, a couple of trips to Iraq. Yeah, so, so you, you guys meet and talk to us about that. Yeah, I knew I knew Jason for a number of years, and uh, we were pretty close friends. And he was coming into town, into New York, to to see a concert with me. We were going to see Mastodon at uh, Hammerstein Ballroom in Manhattan, and uh, I think he knew one of the one of the guitar players, and they had been roommates at some point or something along those lines. So we were going to hang out with those cats and uh, you know meet up with them and see the show and. The idea came to me kind of right before that concert, the day before. And so it was very easy for me to approach Jason and say, you know, hey, I've got this idea. I don't know exactly what it looks like just yet, but, you know, I want to make music and I want to take the proceeds of the music royalties and give those to, you know, some special operations charities or give it back to the Ranger Regiment, you know, their foundation or whatever it might be. And he was like, yeah, man, that sounds great. Let's do it. So that's kind of where it started from there. I stood up. I had a social media page at the time. Um, it wasn't anything significant, but I kind of started to put out the word on social media what I was doing. And it just grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And uh, pretty soon, you know, other guys hit me up and said, you know, hey, I play bass. How can I be involved? And, you know, now we've got a bass player and you know, it just, it grew organically. So it was, it was really interesting to see. And I think if you put it out there and you're, and you're true and you're altruistic, I think people can see that if this was like a fake thing. I, I don't think it would have come off the same way, but even our producer came about the same way. He hit me up on social media and said, you know, Hey, I'm a Grammy award winning producer and would love to produce your first album and let's, let's make it happen. So it did. And, uh, you know, it just kind of continues to grow. It's amazing to get a, a Grammy award winning producer to hit you up instead of the other way around. Yeah, so and it, that, turned, it, it was interesting. It turns out he was a veteran also. So he he did four years in the Marine Corps and was in the process of trying to go to uh, force recon when that was still a thing and mm -hmm. got hurt. And so he elected to just get out of the, the Marine Corps and he did. So anyway, I you know, when I first saw him, and I saw the direct message. I had to Google him just to see if he was a legit person or not. And I was like, let's, let's see who, who does he produce? Oh, Justin Bieber. Oh shit. Uh, who else? You know? And it was just like one after the other. And the guy is literally probably the, one of the hottest, you know, pop producers uh, in the music industry, but he grew up listening to all the same stuff that, that I liked Alice in Chains and Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots and, you know, stuff like that. So it was a, it was a good fit and it was, you know, an amazing experience working with him and just kind of seeing his work ethic and 
you know, we did it for real. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, we didn't take a half-assed approach just like everything that I do. I'm, I'm all in, you know, if I'm going to do something, I'm going all in with it. I'm not going to half-ass it. So. Yeah, that's great. And those bands you mentioned, I, I remember loving all that music. We say, you know, cover bands used to play that stuff down at the flame and mug and yep. all the time. That was like, that was the hangout, you know, back in the day. But so what was it like? I, I, I love hearing about the creative process. Now you got your music, you have a producer, you have bandmates. What was it like going into the studio and putting it all together? Yeah. Even, even then, um, you know, I, I started writing songs and I would send them to, you know, one of, one of my other bandmates is kind of like my first line supervisor in terms of approving or disapproving an idea. And so I would send him something. And if it passed, if it passed the muster test and, you know, Hey, I like this, then I would kind of continue to work on it until it got to the point where, okay, now it's pretty much a full song. I would send that out. You know, you can do that right on your iPhone. It doesn't take anything special. I would send that to all the guys. So by the time we would get together in person to rehearse, you know, we'd already know the material. It's not like you had to, you know, we had to stand there and learn it together. We had to learn how to play it together and learn how to transition from one part to the next, et cetera. So it took us, you know, basically from the time we met until the time we went into the studio, that whole time was just trying to get enough material together to go record. And we had to figure out what kind of band are we? Are we a hard rock band? Are we, uh, you know, are we a modern sounding band? Are we, what are our songs like? You know, what's our sound? All of that. We had to kind of like figure all that stuff out on the fly. And it wasn't something where, you know, we were playing little clubs and, oh, hey, people like that song and, you know, explored it that way. So we really had to kind of, kind of just go by if we all like what what we're playing and there's five of us if mm -hmm. we all like it then then it can't be it can't be that bad um it's altogether different when all of a sudden now you're in front of you know multi-grammy award-winning guy and it, it's like a dick measuring contest you know and it'd be like literally like you're exposing a part of yourself you know lay it out there on the table let's see what you got and you either got the goods or you don't. And it really was kind of, it was eye-opening in that regard because he was just trying to take something and make it even better. And so we would go in, you know, when we went into the studio, we have like kind of an 85 or 90% solution. And he's the guy that's taken it to, you know, 100%. That's got to be, I mean, there's an art to that. And those people you know, the creative people that do that stuff and the producers, I mean, I, I've seen, uh, you know, films of how they, they put stuff like that together. And I always go back to when I was a kid, George Martin with the Beatles. I mean, you know, a yep. lot of that Beatles sound was because of him. I, I just think it's fascinating. And uh, I think that's really, really cool. I, I know like uh, one of the other Delta guys, I don't know him personally, but I love his videos, Pat McNamara. He's, oh he's, yeah, yeah. Pat, Pat loves his, he loves his hard, hard metal stuff. So, uh, you know, I, yeah, I but he's a guy. Pat is a fan he, of yours. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I, I'm a friend of his, you know. So. We, oh, really? Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll communicate every now and again, kind of thing. And uh, we were in the same squadron for for a short period of time before he ended up leaving. But um, Pilot's a very creative guy, and that's I think one of the things when people ask me, you know, what's something that you would say people would be surprised about, you know, Delta guys or surprised about special operations people and i always say the same thing and that's creativity and it doesn't have to be art but special operations are kind of the only place in the military where you can adjust on the fly and if something doesn't work or hey we need to change a tactic how can we be more creative than the enemy how can we outsmart you know the bad guys that are now caught on to what we're doing or how we're doing something you got to be one step ahead of that. And the only way to do that is to be creative. And, you know, it's one of the, one of the traits that I think a lot of guys within uh, special operations have, you know, whether it's a dude that plays guitar or whether it's a dude that draws or, you know, whatever it might be, there's, there's a lot of that out there. And that was yeah, a surprise to me. Pat, Pat's an artist, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a, an amazing artist and a bunch of the, going away plaques and things like that there there are prints that were done prior to you know jim Dietz being an amazing artist and doing a lot of that stuff there are a bunch of them that pat had done and for years that's one of the things they would give you when you left there was like a print that pat had done uh but yeah amazing amazing artist you know and he loves his medals <laughs> yeah yeah and and then i, I love his videos yeah yeah it's basic dude stuff, as he calls it. Yeah, basic dude stuff. There's another guy <laughs> that I've recently caught on Instagram, and it, it's it's Be a Man, and it's this guy from Boston, and uh, they're all very short. They're like five or or six second long videos, but he'll say things like, "If you're hurt, don't go to the hospital, just die. Be a man." <laughs> and he's doing it in this Boston accent. It's <laughs> fucking hilarious <laughs> but yeah if you're if you're on instagram check the guy out be a man yeah i'll, I'll check that out it's but, like uh, be a man boston or something like that yeah. the dude is a riot oh yeah that's uh, if you don't know how to if you don't know how to fix something just throw a fucking wrench across the room be a man <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, some of those people might be my relatives in that thing <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, you can't fake that accent. You know, it's funny now because I talked to people and they were like, oh, man, you have a thick Boston accent. But when I go home, my relatives tell me, oh, man, you sound like you've been living in the South your whole life. So yeah, isn't that home. weird? Yeah. <laughs> well, I see, you, my... you don't have an accent, though. No, you know, well, you, you, the person with the thick Boston accent is saying I don't have an accent, but <laughs> my, my wife thinks because she's from Long Island, so she's got a really strong Long Island accent and she'll imitate me and she's like, hi, I'm Brad, I'm Brad, I'm from the South. And, and I'm like, I don't hear it at all. I feel like I have a very neutral uh, accent and there might be a word here or there that comes out that's a little twangy or something, but yeah I, I think i'm pretty neutral in terms of accent yeah that's funny but uh I, you know one of the things you mentioned was the, the uh the influence your parents had on your music and you know grow it it struck a chord with me because growing up you know my parents were into 
Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra. And to this day, I still love that music because I used to hear it every weekend when my mother would be cooking Sunday dinner. You know, Sunday dinner is a big thing with the Italians in Boston. So yeah, yeah. My my mother would be listening to Sinatra and Dean Martin records, and to this day, I still love that music. So yeah, it's it's a homey feeling. You know, we had similarly. My my parents had either classical or mm-hmm. you know, my dad was a little bit wild with bands like Chicago or Boston. Mm-hmm. Boston Boston was probably as as heavy as he could go, and. uh you know, so I heard that stuff from a very young age and it just was, and I had an older sister and, you know, when she was a teenager, she starts listening to stuff and now I'm hearing that and, you know, car rides and things before cars had real stereos. Um, you know, she would bring her like tape recorder in the car and play tapes and stuff. And yeah, the old you know, Sony Walkman. I, I miss the days, you know, the, I love that on my phone that I'm talking to you on right now, I can like jump on and find any music I want. I think that that's an incredible, you know, gift to be able to do that. But what I miss is, and what I wish that kids today could, and now I sound old, right? You kids don't know. (laughs) Um, I wish that kids could understand the social aspect of discovering music like I did. So, you know, before I was able to drive a car and had older friends that were driving you know we would jump in a car go to the record store spend a couple hours you know perusing all the records and tapes and everything else before compact discs even and you know everybody would leave there with something and you could buy an album in those days for like 4.99 yeah. and maybe a double album might be like 8.99 or something like that but we we'd leave. We go to one of the dudes' houses, crack some beers, and guys got to kind of take turns throwing stuff on the record player. And it was really kind of this social aspect of discovering music. You know, like I remember the dude that turned me on to Judas Priest. I remember the the dude that turned me on to Van Halen, and you know how that all came to be. And it was it was a group thing. And then as a group, you would go see live music together, and it was like man like it was just it's an amazing time and i i wish that there was something like that now and that's that's the only thing that i don't enjoy about music being as accessible as it is now yeah especially with you know covid because i used to when i was young i loved going to concerts you know i, yeah. I, I saw uh in in boston you know the the eagles and Leonard Skinner when they were first starting out 10 years after was yeah. the opening. Yeah. And so I'm really dating myself, Jethro Tull. Sure. But then, you know, a friend of my wife's and I, he was a roadie for Metallica a few years ago. And so they were playing where the uh, New England Patriots play football. They were playing that big football stadium. And this guy was like, Hey, you want to come down and meet us and come in the back, meet the band, hang out. So we were just like, yeah, that's be awesome. So then, uh, you know, we hung out with Metallica backstage with Kid Rock was there. And then when the show started, we they were like, where are you going? We were like, well, we're going to go to our seat. They were like, come stand on the side of the stage. Hell yeah. Oh, my God. And the perspective is so different. And I'm yeah. just saying that I got goosebumps again because I remember 
that feeling and it's got to be amazing as a musician when you're in front of people like that and you can see that you're you know resonating with that audience it's got to be really cool yeah you you said that and i got goosebumps that's how much you know it means to me and uh the power and the energy behind stuff when you're playing it and when you see somebody like singing your lyrics back to you yeah it's an amazing feeling it's like it's to some degree validation you know i get that because of covid we haven't really been able to do a whole lot yeah. so yeah nobody's been able to do anything but that's one of the things that we're looking forward to. I think we're doing uh, some stuff here at the end of April, but it's a, it's a special benefit show with uh, old dominion band. And I'm not super familiar with them, but they're, they're a pretty large act. So we're going to do cool. some stuff with them. And, uh, and then hopefully uh, last spring we were lining up some USO stuff and that all fell out due to COVID. I think we were going to be, you know, seven countries or seven bases in 10 days kind of thing mm -hmm. and uh, seven shows kind of thing. So I'm hoping to get back onto some of that, but we're in the meantime, we've written a new album and got it all ready to go and done all the pre-production rehearsals and kind of know and charted it out. It's, it, it kind of becomes an Excel document like, ah, this song called X, you know, has four guitar tracks and there are two bass tracks and we need to throw this extra vocal track on it, you start to kind of chart it out so that you, when you get in there and you're paying $1,100 a day just to be in the studio, you know, you're not fucking around trying to figure out what to do. So it's, uh, I think we, we dropped about 35 G's recording our last album and that's just, wow. just the mechanical recording of everything. That's not including uh, all the travel and all the flights and all of the hotels and, everything else that goes into all that so you know that's one of the things and a part of our message is like we're not doing this to get rich we're taking the music royalties that we get from selling music on itunes or apple music or spotify if you stream stuff um it's all going to you know two different special operations charitable organizations and first responder organizations too so if you want to help support us and help us offset costs like buy a t-shirt on our website or, you know, buy a hat or something along those lines. But that's, that's how you can help support us. But we'd rather you buy the music and have the music. And that's kind of our contribution to the veteran community. And we're, we're trying to say, you know, the, the whole reason that I started this thing was to say, I've lived through some really tough times and lived through some really fierce battles and, you know, struggle with my share of, you know, aftermath and everything else. And I'm taking those negative experiences and I'm doing something healthy and positive and creative with it. And I'm giving back to the community, which has given me a tremendous sense of purpose. So every now and again, I'll post some pictures of myself from, from my time in the military. And the only reason I do that, it's not to say like, look at me and, and things like that. It's to say, Hey, I'm a real person. I've been there. And if, I can do it. You can do it too. It's kind of that old ranger, you know, motto of rangers lead the way or lead by example. And I'm just trying to say, I represent the community. I'm, I'm doing this and it's given me a tremendous sense of purpose and I feel great about it and love my bandmates and love what I'm doing. So, you know, find out what, what you can do, how you can give back and, and do it. You know, you're doing something great. You're doing, 
soft rep radio, right? And you're having people on and you're allowing them to tell their stories and talk about what they're doing. And, you know, that's a great, that's a great thing in itself because you're giving people a platform to talk about what they're doing and, and make a difference, you know? So all good stuff. Well, it's, it's great to get to talk to different people, especially right now with the COVID. I mean, you know, we get to talk to people every week with different walks of life and, and so I'm a music lover. So this was really exciting for me today, but hold that thought because I want to get back to where people can find your music, but first I have to read a quick uh, ad for one of our sponsors. Sure. And so hello again, everyone. It's me, Steve Alistair. Once again, I wanted to let you know about this new app. It's the how we reach coaching tool, download it and learn how to reach out to friends who are going through a hard time. And as we all know, suicide prevention is really big right now, especially uh, in the special forces community. We just lost a couple more people to that. So this is something that's near and dear to all of our hearts. Thanks to this app, you can get helpful information on how to talk to friends who are struggling and help them find the help that they deserve. We all need support sometimes. Go to reach.gov. That's R-E-A-C-H.gov. To learn the steps everyone can take to prevent suicide, check it out. How we reach coaching tool today, and uh, please do that, folks. Check out on on your friends and your relatives. Reach out to them if somebody's struggling. Be there for them. So, with that said, we're back. Uh, we're we're talking with Brad Thomas, uh, former Ranger, Delta guy, musician. You've pretty much covered the whole gamut of. Uh, you know, different things to do in your life. But uh, tell our listeners where they can find your music, where they can buy it from, and yeah. uh, what what's coming up. Okay. Yeah. So anywhere, you know, first of all, Google is an amazing thing. And I have people that still uh, comment or make comments on social media about, you know, hey, where can I find your thing? Uh, it's on every music platform that you would normally get music. So wherever you normally get music, type in Silence and Light and you'll find it, whether that's iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, um, there are 55 other, 57 other digital streaming platforms where you can find it, YouTube. If you want a physical CD, uh, they're available on Amazon. Uh, so, you know, and anywhere that you would normally get music, it's available there. Um, so what we've got going on is we just finished all the pre-production kind of rehearsals and got all the tunes ironed out for album two. And we'll go into the studio mid-June through mid-July, roughly, and get all that recorded. Uh, that'll go to mixing and mastering and get get tweaked a little bit from there and hopefully be able to launch it, you know, end of August, beginning of September. That's probably being generous and uh, very optimistic, but that's our goal. So we've got uh, a publicist on board who is... Uh, happens to be Ozzy's publicist too. So that's kind of wow. cool, uh, <laughs> kind of a cool thing, but she'll, uh, once we get into the studio and start recording, she'll get on board and help starting to promote things outside of, uh, you know, veteran and soft related, uh, media and things like that. So we're looking forward to kind of being able to tell our story to a community that's never heard of us and, and never heard of that. So that's going to be a good time, but yeah, by, there's stuff available now. Our first album's out. It came out in uh, December of 2019. And uh, 
Yeah, the second second album should be out hopefully by this September. And I think we're going to do some vinyl and things like that. But um, just to mention again, you know, we're we're taking 100 percent of the the royalties, music royalties that we're getting from selling music and streaming music. Uh, we're taking 100 percent of that and giving it to two different charitable organizations. And the two charitable organizations that we're giving to one is Warriors Heart. And that's a physical place in Texas that was stood up by a former unit member buddy of mine named Tom Spooner. And they get guys who are struggling. They get them cleaned up because generally PTSD isn't just something that, you know, it's not a thing just by itself. It's usually wrapped up in a bunch of other things like substance abuse or, uh, you know, behavior that's not appropriate, whatever it might be. Uh, they get guys cleaned up and they get them into treatment and they get them counseling, but they use art as a form of therapy. And I love that. I love that it could be sculpting. It could be uh, welding. It could be music. It could be drawing, painting, art, whatever it might be. But they use that as a form of therapy. And that's something that, you know, is near and dear to me. Uh, the other organization is the Marine Raider Foundation. And they are a great group that directly helps families that are in need in the MARSOC and Marine Raider uh, community. So if, uh, if a young Marine Raider is killed in combat, you know, they're taking care of the family, they're getting the family uh, travel arrangements if they need that, they're taking care of hotel rooms for family members, uh, if somebody's yard needs to be cut, whatever it might be, they're, they're able to take funds and directly, you know, get those to the families of uh, fallen MARSOC Raiders. So those are the two that we're supporting right now. And that may change, uh, you know, maybe next year for tax purposes or something like that. But uh, for right now, that's who we're contributing to. That's awesome. And then uh, I haven't heard of the Marine Raider uh, group, but I'll definitely check those guys out. You know, there's so many great, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, so many great foundations that are out there. They're doing great work for our special operators and our people who need it. So I, you know, personally, I, I give to a couple and we encourage all of our readers and listeners to do the same. But make sure you check out Silence and Light with Brad Thomas. Before we go, I just need to uh, let our listeners know if you want to get soft rep on your phone, download our free mobile app and get easy access to our articles, podcasts, and gear reviews, all perfectly formatted to your device. Please subscribe to softrep.com to get access to our library of eBooks and our exclusive team room forms and content available on all your Apple and Android devices. Brad, I, I wanna thank you once again, being patient. I know it was, uh, we had some stuff go haywire on us this afternoon, but it was really great to talk to you. Um, and it's uh, it's pretty interesting what you guys are doing. I think it's great that you guys are, you know, giving back to the community and the fact that a bunch of uh, operators are out there making great music and we encourage all our listeners to check it out. It's really good stuff. So thanks no. for taking the time with us today. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And like I said, you know, it's it, you guys are providing a great service and getting people a voice where they may not, you know, be heard necessarily. And, you know, that's, that's a tremendous service too. So we, we appreciate you having us on and uh, having me on and, you know, help, help spread the word. So thank you. Oh, I look forward to the second album and uh, yeah, we'll definitely uh, 
like to have you back again sometime in the future when uh, you guys release some more music and maybe we can talk some more about that. Yeah, no, I'd love to. There's a, this, it's going to be slamming. We took it, we definitely took it up a notch and uh, all around with just more mature songs, better songs, everything. It's, we've found who we are and, uh, and we're looking forward to getting it out. So would love to come back anytime, man. Well, for myself, Steve Belshery, Brad Thomas, please check out his band Silence and Light. We'll be back with another podcast here real soon. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. Five to six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like very of all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.